Okay, I'm going to set up the scene here by mentioning that Melissa Carnes, Mal, is the protagonist of the novel. She's a young, sort of hotshot political strategist who got sent to Ohio for a Senate race by the Democratic National Committee to rescue a campaign that's floundering. They're 18 points behind with only a couple months left to go until the election. Uh, in this scene, Mel is about to meet the campaign manager, Brian Tremont. Tremont is hostile and snippy when Mel steps into his office at precisely 9 a.m. Melissa Carnes, he says with his nasally Wisconsin accent, just the tiniest touch of the classic gay lisp. The combination is highly comical, but the look on his face is pure disdain. He gives Mel a wary up and down, a displeased butcher on the verge of refusing a questionable shipment of meat. I knew things were bad, but I didn't think they were this bad. Mel squints through the smoke of her cigarette, lets Tremont feel her looking him up and down in return. He's repulsive, slabby, flabby and pale like most Pauls, thinning hair swirled artlessly over a bald spot he's the only one in denial about. Pants too loose, suspenders too tight, obvious coffee stain on his tie. She exhales, watches the smoke drift towards Tremont, pushes her glasses up her nose, stokes up her anger. What the fuck is that supposed to mean? Tremont eases a toothpick into the corner of his mouth. Everybody knows who you are, Carnes. You call yourself a strategist, but you're a gussied-up pollster who's managed to catch the eye of some well-placed people. Hardly impressive. Gussied up? What kind of sexist crap is that? Tremont ignores her. You were not asked for. I'm sure you know that. I'm required to give you an office, part of our deal with the devil. The DNC, I mean. We get their money, we have to take their BS. One of the girls carved you a space, so just go. Tremont flutters his hand at the door and stay out of my way. Mel tenses, controls the urge to explain the situation, to point out that they moved her over here from another crucial race in Nebraska because she was winning there and they need her to win here too. She could list her accomplishments, her nearly perfect win-loss record, her rapid elevation up the party hierarchy, but that's exactly what Tremont wants, an underling reciting her resume to impress the boss. That plays into the narrative that he's in charge here, and Mel won't allow Tremont to see himself that way, not after his petty opening gambit. He's an obstacle, pure and simple. She thought that might be the case coming in this morning, and Tremont didn't have the artfulness to conceal it, which gives the advantage to Mel. It saves her time trying to figure out how he really feels. It's clear what she has to do, the strategy unfolding in obvious sequence. First, she has to cow Tremont, then win over the staff, make them her staff, then charm the candidate. Easy as one, two, three. Mel lets the silence prolong, sits without being asked, and lights a new cigarette from the tip of her old one. Let's get one thing straight, Alex. You're a colossal failure here. Whatever you've done in the past, whatever connections got you this job, you are screwing this up big time. Things are this bad, and I'm here to do whatever's possible to unbad them. You can either back me up or you can get the fuck out of my way, but you cannot stop me from busting my ass to win this thing. You got that? You are way out of line, Carnes. There's not a line anywhere near where you are is how way out of line you are. I don't give a fuck how out of line I am. I'm here to win this election, and that's what I intend to do. If you don't like it, pick up the phone and call David Wilhelm and see what he says. Mel yanks the phone from its cradle, wags it at Tremont. David Wilhelm isn't my boss. Kyle Porter is. Mel slams the phone down, squares her shoulders. Would you rather take it up with him, then? I assume he wants to win, too. 
Are you really sure he'll favor your stodgy bullshit over my approach? This is a calculated risk, escalating to a let daddy decide so quickly. Mel hasn't even met Porter, has no idea what he thinks of Tremont and his old school ways. Porter's father-in-law is an ex-governor, probably how Tremont made the connection. He's tight with the Ohio Old Boys Network. Porter might be steeped in the same kind of approach. It used to work just fine, but Porter is young, clearly ambitious. Mel bets that in a head-to-head duel of strategy, her approach beats Tremont's in Porter's eyes. Tremont sighs. Where is the toothpick across his throat? Listen, Carnes, you know as well as I do that you don't win elections by convincing people to vote for you. Maybe you can win a few so-called undecideds, but that's hardly ever enough. You win elections by not alienating the people who might vote for you and working your ass off to get into the polls come election day. That's your time-tested recipe for victory. Time-tested recipe for victory? That's what you call what you're doing here? You're 18 points down in late September, and there's a storm cloud of Republican horseshit about to rain down on the whole country. You need to get your head out of your ass and take a good hard look at what really presents, what reality presents you with today. Today, Alex, not 1972, not 1982, not even 1992. Can you do that for me? I'm not sure who you think you are, who you're talking to, Ms. Carnes. I'm the campaign manager here. You work for me. Or did you not realize where you fit in the pecking order? Tremont raises his hand above his head. Campaign manager. He drops his hand down to eye level. Strategist. Mel ignores this. Senses that Tremont is weakening. If he's already summoning the official pecking order, he's all but beaten. She eases back, crosses her legs, adopts a posture more appropriate for a situation where they're already in complete agreement. Listen, we don't have any time to waste. We've got six weeks minus a day to turn a debacle in the making into something that won't embarrass everyone involved. 18 points? What the fuck have you been doing? Mel sits forward, plants her feet on the ground, jabs her cigarette at Tremont. I'm serious, Alex. What have you done in a month on the job that gives you the right to call yourself the boss around here? Mel watches Tremont deflate. She didn't think he'd be able to hold his bravado together very long. He's old and tired, capable of only the most surface resistance to her onslaught. If he had more energy, more fortitude, the campaign might not be in such disarray. Tremont sighs, leans forward heavily. He tries to explain that he hasn't been sitting on his hands, that he's doing everything a campaign manager can. Mel doesn't believe him, doesn't think Tremont can do anything but follow his stale ground game formula. The org chart and expenditure records show a campaign heavy on grassroots organizing. Door knocking, lawn sign distribution, community relations staff, light on campaign rallies, even lighter on advertising and, advertising and content exp- expertise. There's one speechwriter, a young guy named Colin Burke, who at least has a Yale pedigree. One local press assistant, a volunteer, a deputy campaign manager nominally in charge of focus groups and media strategy, also a volunteer. Another deputy for organizational outreach, whatever the hell that is. No communications director, no press secretary, no media expertise of any kind. Tremont would have done without a strategist entirely if the DNC hadn't insisted on her. Mel smokes placidly watches Tremont continue justifying himself. He claims he's been getting pushback from Porter over any change he does suggest. You don't think I want him to be more aggressive? You're wrong. He just won't do it. Does he not realize that his numbers don't just spell defeat, they spell embarrassment? He's looking at complete humiliation here. He loses a decently close race, even by six or eight points. He runs again in two or four years, takes another stab at Senate, maybe governor. If he goes down by 18 points... He's done in politics before he's even gotten started. 
Tremont spits his toothpick in the trash can, replaces it immediately with a new one. He doesn't. He swallows hard. Looks like he's wondering whether to say what he's about to say. He doesn't like polls. Won't look at them. That's fucking retarded. Mel can't believe it. And you let him get away with that? What the hell could I do? Tie him down and pry open his eyes? He thinks polls make a politician too self-conscious. It's some shit his father-in-law told him. Are you fucking kidding me? He's the candidate. He calls the shots. Really, Alex? He's the candidate? That's your line? That's how you position yourself with this newbie? He's a rookie. Green to the core. I don't care who his father-in-law is. He has no idea what he's doing. It's your job to tell him what he wants. And now that you've fucked that up, it's my job to tell you and him both. How the holy hell have you let things sink this far? It's like you don't even care if he gets destroyed by this dipshit lieutenant governor. What the hell could I do? Tremont sounds pathetic, completely defeated. At least he's aware of how badly he's failing. You explain to him what polls are. They're the scoreboard. They're your bank balance. They're your goddamn AIDS test. You're not going to look at that when it comes in the mail? Then you're an idiot. You put it differently, of course, but Jesus H. Christ, he won't look at polls? I can't remember the last time I heard something so fucking retarded. Probably never. Tremont opens his mouth to reply, slumps back in his chair. Looks like he just barely stopped himself from saying, I know, I know, I know. Mel softens a touch, realizes she's won this battle. It's time to show some mercy, to turn the conversation forward. I know you've always been a ground game guy, Alex, but we can't grind this one out to the finish line. Not with this lawyers or assholes attitude dragging us down and a Republican tsunami bearing down full speed. It's the fourth quarter here and we're three scores down. It's time to pass the ball. That's why Wilhelm sent me here. You run the ball, I pass it. Mel softens her tone further. We need to work together. I know what you can do with the get out the vote effort. We'll need that, absolutely. But we need more movement in the polls too or we're doomed, even with the five-star ground game. Musgrove's got soft support up and down the crosstabs, and there's more than enough undies to put us over the top if we get a good chunk of them. It'll be close, and it won't be easy, but we can win this one. I know we can. Fine. We'll try it your way. Tremont clearly hates himself at this moment, and Mel makes sure not to gloat. These old turds are stupendously sensitive. But let's wait a few days to broach a major change, okay? We've got a speech this afternoon at the Lorraine La- Labor Temp- Temple, then dinner with some AFL brass tonight at Morton's. Why don't you take a couple of days to settle in, watch Porter give his stump speech and work some bigwigs, get a feel for his approach, a feel for the race. Then we can reevaluate, okay? Mel exhales with extra drama, drops her butt in a coffee cup on Tremont's desk. Unacceptable. Read my lips, Alex. We cannot wait. Mel glances out the window at the office. Eyes the staff like a predator sizing up her prey. It's time to meet the underlings, fire up the troops, get this beast turned in the right direction. I've got some internal polling I want to go over with the staff, she says. You're welcome to listen too if you're interested. Mel stands, tries to hide her distaste as Tremont pushes himself slowly from his chair. Out of touch, out of shape, and out of ideas, she says to herself. She tamps down what might be a surge of pity. She can't get soft on Tremont now, or he might find the strength to push back. She completely castrated him here, but he's an old war horse. Unless he quits outright, Mel knows she'll have to keep putting him in his place, day after day. That's her ground game, for the duration. She lets Tremont open the door for her, call a few times for everyone's attention. The room quiets slowly, the tension palpable. 
The staff obviously heard mommy and daddy fighting, and they're embarrassed, unsure what's about to happen. Mel doesn't care. It's good of them to know there's a power struggle going on at the top, that there's someone around who's serious about turning this shit around. Let these folks see that the new boss lady means business. So, we've got a new strategist, Tremont says with exactly zero emotion, sent out from the DNC to help us win. This is Melissa Carnes. She wants to talk to you for a few minutes about, he glances at Mel, about her ideas. The room is dead silent now, not even a single telephone ringing. Mel can sense that morale is pathetically low. The 18-point deficit must weigh heavily on everyone. They're mostly volunteers and underpaid support staff, true believers and porter groupies. Mel has been in this room before, knows how fervently truvies need reassurance, even in the best of times. Politics is a team sport, and she's the new coach. Her guy's way down in a winner-go-home situation, three scores behind in the fourth quarter and the game clock ticking implacably. She thinks back to Buffalo's amazing comeback in the 93 wildcard game. Trailing 35-3 in the third quarter, they won 41-38 in overtime, led by a backup quarterback, no less. Mel wonders what Marv Levy said in the locker room at halftime. She needs to give her team the same kind of confidence boost. Remind them it's not over till it's over, and she knows they can do it. Now go out there and turn this son of a bitch around. Mel is pumped up, but she starts calmly, intending to build to a crescendo rather than rant and yell from the outset. Thanks, Alex. I'm glad to be on board. Mel smiles brightly, makes eye contact around the room. I'm going to meet all of you individually throughout the next couple of days, but I want to start off by laying out for the whole team where we are in the race, and more importantly, where we're going. She signals Cindy, the secretary she spoke with earlier. Cindy points to the overhead projector, gives a thumbs up, begins wrestling open a folding screen. We've got our first round of high-quality internal polling, Mel says. I'm sure that you've all seen the latest public poll from the Columbus Dispatch that shows us 18 points down, 49-31. I won't lie to you, that's bad, extremely bad. She lays her first transparency on the projector, strolls to the screen while the women begin reading the data and the men look her up and down. She's used to this, doesn't take it personally, wonders only what they're thinking, whether it breaks towards who's this hot chick with the overhead projector or who does this frumpy bitch think she is coming here to tell us how to run our campaign. What she wouldn't give for a quick glance at a focus group summary for this crowd. Our data shows the same deficit, but the numbers we have, this is proprietary information, so none of this leaves the room. Our numbers have a more granular breakdown, and the picture they reveal is less hopeless. Mel stands in front of the screen, rows of data striping across her body. She can sense the desire for her to say something inspiring, to give them hope that all is not lost. For one thing, undecided stand at 15%. We get all these undies, we're nearly in the lead. Mel sees some eyes begin to sparkle, worries that she shouldn't have led with that point. They're not going to get every undie, not even close. <clears throat> not with the way Porter is doing among key groups. Not with a third-party candidate to sop up latent dissatisfaction. Not with Howard Kane running Musgrove's campaign. But I'm not here to blow sunshine up your ass. Porter's in trouble. We have to admit that to ourselves. The crosstabs paint a very clear picture of a candidate underperforming among traditional Democratic voters. Mel scans the room, sees a grossly unrepresentative collection of Ohioans. Not a black person in sight. Precious few women. No one over 45. Hardly anybody with a trace of blue-collar sensibility. Any precinct or census tract that looks anything like this is already safe territory for Republicans. What do these people understand about the Democratic base? 
The good news is there's plenty of room to move here. She steps aside and smacks the screen to emphasize the row of union members broken down by age. Our guy is way underperforming with blue-collar workers, especially here and here. Mel stabs the screen, scans the room again to make sure they're following. Everyone listens intently. She can feel the power of their hope, the undercurrent of desperation. She's the savior for, from D.C., the brilliant new strategist sent in to rescue the situation. The expectation is almost too much to take, but it's one of the reasons Mel loves this job. Every campaign she joins needs her talent to survive, craves the kind of analysis and guidance that she and only she can provide. It shouldn't be too hard to break off a chunk of Musgrove's support, she continues, particularly at the higher age range. Mel spends five minutes explaining how they'll do this with a combination of issue and character ads, TV, radio, and print, a new stump speech, an intensified schedule of appearances by the candidate. Tremont makes a point of retreating to his office to show his displeasure. He doesn't go quietly. Mel controls the urge to roll her eyes at his childishness. She doesn't yet know who's loyal to Tremont and who's just as fed up as she is. Mel gets back to the data, building to her win-one-for-the-gipper moment from a solid foundation of facts. Musgrove's pro-NAFTA, anti-public school tenure, a corporate sleazebag who's been in trouble with the SEC. We'll paste him with everything. And let's not forget that he's even richer and more out of touch than our guy, whose parents are bona fide immigrants who ran a small haberdashery that put their son through law school. It's the classic American success story. So we're also going to tell our guy's humble story much better than we've been doing. Mel watches a few heads nod, knows she's winning loyalty here, saying much better than we've been doing implicates her in their past screw-ups even though she wasn't around. It's a team player move, a leader attitude. We'll start here. We'll start there and see how much we can move the needle. By the middle of next week, we'll have a good idea of how soft Musgrove's support is among our traditional constituencies, how many of those undies we can pull our way. For now, I want each and every one of you to start thinking about this campaign like it's a war. Mel clasps her hands behind her back, assumes her patent opening monologue pose, slips into her George C. Scott impersonation. And I want you to remember that no bastard ever won a war by dying for his country. She pauses, tries not to smile. He won it by making the other poor dumb bastard die for his country. There's some laughter, a bit of it nervous, some clearly relieved that the new boss lady has a lighter side. Mel wonders if anyone realizes who she's impersonating. She sees a few looks of awe, not a single snide expression or furtive whisper to a neighbor. She presses on confidently, channeling Patton. Americans traditionally love to fight. All real Americans love the sting of battle. When you were kids, you all admired the champion marble shooter, the fastest runner, the big league ball players, the Olympic gold medal winners. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. Americans play to win all the time. Mel allows a grin to creep onto her lips, letting the room in on the joke. There's another, another thing I want you to remember. I don't want to get any messages saying that we're holding our position. We're not holding anything. Let the other guy do that. We are advancing constantly. She smiles wider now. The next line always brings her to the edge of laughter. We're going to kick the hell out of him all the time, and we're going to go through him like crap through a goose. Mel claps her hands finishes in a mixture of her own voice and patents. Okay, then, let's go out and win this thing. The staff claps lustily, and Mel feels her chest swell, her fingers tingle. It's always deeply satisfying to win over the staff, to sense that everybody is coming together under a common purpose. She did it. 
The troops have been rallied, and they're ready to follow her into battle.